The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Well, welcome to Christ Church. We're glad you're here. Um, and uh, so to get us started, uh, you know, every, uh, every sermon I, I like to um, start off with some sort of story or joke or something. Um, and uh, so, so every Saturday I go over the sermon with my wife. Um, she is, and so if you don't like the sermons, blame her because she approves them. So I was going over it with her and I said, you know, I don't, I don't really have a story. I don't really have something that will kind of grab you or anything like that. I don't, I don't really know what to start with. And, and, and so she said, uh, well, what are you preaching on? And, and so I said, Psalm 23. And she said, why don't you just like read the psalm. And I was like, and that's why I married you. All right. So that's exactly what we're going to do. If you have a Bible, turn to Psalm chapter 23. If you don't have a Bible, there should be some in the seats, maybe under the chairs. That's our gift to you. If you want it, take it. If you don't, fine. You can put it right back. You can use your smartphone and all of that other stuff. If you're wondering where Psalms is, it's almost directly in the middle of the Bible, just kind of open to the middle and you might um, find it. If you have a smartphone, I do not suggest opening to the middle. Uh, I don't know what will happen. All right. So So Psalm chapter 23, can you follow along with me there? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord for ever. I would say that this is probably the most famous chapter in all of the scriptures. This is probably the most familiar chapter in all of the scriptures. Wouldn't you agree? When you think about it, like, like people use it all the time. If you see any horror movies, right, when there's a, someone's demon possessed or something, what's the psalm they start quoting? Psalm 23, right? Or, or if, if people are scared, what's the psalm they start quoting? Psalm 23, you hear it in songs, you see it on TV shows. People are familiar with it. When you go to a funeral, what do people read? Psalm 23, right? And so so we're really, really familiar with it. And I, I got to be honest, I got to throw a confession out there. The more familiar I am with something, the more easily my brain turns off when I hear it, right? Like, like I know what that's about, so let's move on. And when I was a kid, there were a series of videos called McGee and Me. Anybody? Does anybody know McGee and Me? Please, anybody out there? I see a head nod. It's okay. It's all right. Don't be embarrassed. McGee and Me were these little Christian videos that were put out about this kid who would draw this cartoon. McGee and McGee would like come to life and teach him like lessons about morality. So anyway, when you're a little Christian kid, what do you watch? That's what you watch. You don't watch The Simpsons, you watch McGee and me. All right. So we were watching McGee and me and and, and my I remember for Christmas one year my parents got me a McGee and me Bible cover. All right. If you're wondering what is a Bible cover, some people believe that you need to hide the word, literally hide it in a in a cover. But anyway, so we would get these little covers to carry, and mine had McGee on the front, and he was sitting next to a calm street with like a deer eating grass next to him or something. And Psalm 23 was on that. And so every time, even as an adult, when I hear Psalm 23, I see McGee right in my head. All right. I see McGee in me. And so, you know, when I've heard this Psalm so many times, again, my, my kind of my brain cuts off when, 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 uh, I go to a funeral and someone reads Psalm 23, it's like, okay, I know I've got like a couple of minutes just to think about ponies or whatever. Right. Cause I know Psalm 23. 
But then as I started to read the context of Psalm 23, and I read Psalm 22 and Psalm 24, Psalm 23 means something different to me now. So if you've still got your Bibles, turn to Psalm 22. You probably don't have to. It's probably just on the same page even. And check this out. This is a, this is a prophecy about Jesus being crucified. Look, look at verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like Jesus on the cross? Skip to verse 14. I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And from my clothing, they cast lots. So that scripture is obviously, it's a prophecy about Jesus, about the suffering servant, about Jesus being crucified for us. Let's skip to uh, uh, 24. Let's skip to Psalm 24. Can you just read along with me here? The earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, for he's founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean lips and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessings from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, be lifted up, O ancient doors, and the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. So Psalm 22 is about Jesus suffering. What does Psalm 24 sound like? It sounds like Jesus exalted, right? Ruling and reigning. And so as I saw Psalm 22, I saw, okay, so this is how I'm saved. Psalm 22, Jesus died. He he was crucified. He suffered for me. And this Psalm 24 is what? That's my destiny. All right? That's my destiny. That I will be with him as he is ruling and reigning and completely glorified. And I will be glorified with him. So what is Psalm 23 then? Sandwiched between Psalm 22 and Psalm 24. There's my past, right? My past is on the cross. There's my future, which is with the Lord and glory. What is Psalm 23? Psalm 23 is, is my now. It's my right now. This is, Psalm 23 is not just a scripture to pull out in difficult times. Psalm 23 is a scripture to pull out every single day. It's a scripture of how to live my life now. How do we deal with difficulty? Psalm 23. How do we live with hope every single day and living in a dying world? Psalm 23. How do we strengthen uh, our hope? How do we strengthen our joy? Psalm 23. So, so this is my, my hope for us today as we look at Psalm 23. I, I hope it's not a cliche anymore. I hope that you'll see it for what it is, that it is living water in a dry desert. So here's my hope. Here's, here's what I want to do. As we look at Psalm 23 over the next couple of Sundays, uh, my hope is that as your knowledge in the shepherd grows, your joy will be deepened and your faith will be strengthened, all right? So that's my hope for us this morning. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, as we open Psalm 23... And as we take a passage that so many of us are probably familiar with and we've heard over and, and over again, my prayer is that you would breathe um, new life into us, Lord. You would give us a deeper and richer and fuller understanding um, of your word this morning, that we would see you more clearly. And because we see you more clearly, we would not be left unchanged. We would leave here different. We would leave here with a deeper faith, a stronger faith, a, a deeper joy, a solid joy in you, the shepherd. We love you. We trust you. It's in your name we pray. 
Amen. Let's start at the top. Like I already told you, we're going to split the psalm into two parts. We're going to go through the first four verses today. Next Sunday, we're going to cover the last two, all right? So let's look at verse one. The Lord is my shepherd. And this is the foundation for the rest of the psalms, all right? You can't just go, hey, I'm going to read verse two and on. This is, this is it. If you don't catch verse one, you don't catch the rest of it. And, and, and if you look here, I, I want you to see a couple of observations about this one line here. Number one, if you got your notes, follow along here. The shepherd is the Lord, all right? The Lord. And if you're writing that in your blank, write that with all capital letters, L-O-R-D. If you look in your Bible, you might be wondering, why is Lord capitalized? Every single letter is capitalized. And here's why. This is the translator's way of, of showing us that this is the name of God. This is not the, 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 that God is a Lord or that God is the reigning Lord. This is God is Lord. This is his name. This is Yahweh. And what we see is when, when Moses says to God, who am I supposed to, what am I supposed to say when I go, when I go to Pharaoh, when I go to the Israelites and I tell them to follow me, what, who, do I, who do I say sent me? And here's what God said. He said, I am who I am. Say, to this say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. I am is his name, literally Yahweh. So when it says that the Lord is my shepherd, it's saying Yahweh is my shepherd. There's not a, another reigning Lord. There's nothing else like that. No, there's nobody that holds any other title that's my shepherd. It's Yahweh. It's only Yahweh. And so that means that Jesus is our shepherd because Jesus is Lord. John 8, 56 through 59, Jesus in response to the Pharisees' questions of who do you think you are? He said this, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. And they said, you're not yet 50 years old and, you, and you've seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was, was born, I am. Before Abraham was born, Yahweh. So since Jesus is Lord, therefore he's also the shepherd. And in the New Testament, he's described over and over again as a shepherd. He's described as the good shepherd in John 10, the great shepherd in Hebrews 13, the chief shepherd in 1 Peter 5, 4. So the Lord, Yahweh, Jesus is the shepherd, which my second observation then would be that, that we are the sheep. If he's the shepherd, then we're the sheep. And, and that's not a thing to be insulted by. Jesus calls us that in John 10 in a very loving and tender way. He refers to us as sheep. And what are sheep? Sheep are, they're vulnerable. They can't protect themselves, right? I've never seen a, a sheep take on another animal and really that work out for them, right? They're dependent, right? They can't, they can't hunt out uh, food. They can't, they can't even lead themselves to good grass. They need the shepherd for that. They're stubborn. They do what they want. You, if, you, if you've got to use dogs to convince this creature to go a certain direction, that's a stubborn animal, all right? Uh, they're short-sighted. They'll literally jump down onto a ledge because they see greener grass and have no idea and no plan on how to get back up, right? So they're short-sighted. They're followers. They move in packs. That's how they naturally work. Now, now is this not a perfect representation of the human condition, right? All right? Isn't this a perfect representation of what humans are? We are sheep. I think my kids illustrate this well to me. My youngest, uh, who, who is here, by the way, our, our new baby, who's like, I don't know, how old is he now? Like three weeks old? Let's go with that. Anyway, so he's here. He's still got the new car smell and everything. It's awesome. But he's incredibly vulnerable, incredibly dependent, all right? Like he literally, you, you're constantly, I, I told someone the other day, I forgot what it's like to have a newborn, how much time you spend just checking to make sure they're breathing, all right? Like 
Because seriously, that's how dependent they are. And, and so they're very vulnerable, very dependent. My daughter is the definition of stubborn, all right? I am not sure if she can say, Daddy, I love you. But I am certain she can say, Daddy, no. All right, like I know she's got that down. You go, well, kids just, they, they, they're just mimicking what they hear all the time. And I don't know where she would have heard that. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so she's incredibly stubborn. My son Jude is the definition of a follower. Anything, in short-sighted, anything Max, my oldest, does, Jude wants to do, all right? It doesn't matter what it does to Max, he wants to do it. So literally Max is, I don't know what's going on right now, but he's on this phase of I have to climb everything and jump off of everything. So he climbed up onto our couch, and that wasn't high enough. So he climbed up on the arm of our couch, and he said, this is it, lift off. And he jumped right off. Well, he hit the ground, rolled his ankle, started crying. And so then Jude was up on the couch watching all of this. He's seeing his brother in pain, and this is Jude's response. Well, you only live once, right? So he jumps right after him. And I was like, what are you doing, right? Like, he didn't think through that. My brother did it. I'm going to do it. He's crying. I don't know. Maybe I won't cry, right? And he just jumped for it, right? Now, that's not just something like we don't grow out of that. We're all still like that, right? Vulnerable. Aren't we victims of circumstance all the time? We think we're in control. We think everything's going the way we want it to go. And then, boom, something happens and we realize how vulnerable we are. We're dependent. Vulnerability does not equal independence, right? You, can, you can't be vulnerable and be independent, all right? And so everything I have is dependent upon the grace of God who gives it to me. My salvation, my, my health, my family, my income, everything. I'm completely dependent. I'm also incredibly stubborn. If my wife were to write a biography on me, number one, no one would read it. But number two, it would be entitled Grant Nixon stubborn. All right? Like that would be it. Grant is stubborn. And it reminds me of a, a story of a police officer, an incredibly stubborn police officer. He, he, he was uh, in this small town and this, this guy was speeding through town and he pulls him over and, and uh, he says, that's it. You know what? I'm taking you to jail. And he says, officer, I have a really good reason. You don't need to take me to jail. And he says, I don't want to hear it. I'm taking you to jail. Just incredibly stubborn, just not listening. And so he takes him to jail and, and, and he lets him sit there in the, in the jail. And he says, you know what? You're lucky and a few hours later, he says, you know what? You're lucky that the chief is at uh, his daughter's wedding. So he's going to be in a good mood when he comes back. And then the guy in the cell said, well, don't count on it because I'm the groom, right? So the police officer was incredibly stubborn. And we're all stubborn. We're short-sighted. How often do you not think through the consequences of something or fully think through an idea? And then, uh, and then ultimately, you suffer the consequences. Why? Because you're short-sighted. Or maybe you can't see to the end of, uh, of the road because you're not sovereign like God is. And you suffer the consequences for being short-sighted. And some of you in here might say, never. I, I am not. I think through things. I know how things are going to be in the long run and I will call you a liar and we will go get a church directory from the 80s and we will look at all the mullets that are in there and you will see how short-sighted you, you are. And we're all followers as well. We like to think that we're trailblazers, but we fall into that comparison trap and we're all following somebody else's lead. We're sheep. But I want to be clear about this. All people are sheep, absolutely. But that doesn't mean that all sheep are his sheep. You hear me on that? All people are sheep. That doesn't mean that all sheep are his sheep. Jesus said this in John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So my question is, do you know his voice? What I mean is, does his truth move you? Does his voice lead you or affect the way that you live? There's a guy I know that I've grown up with who 
right now is making a lot of really destructive decisions. And a lot of, uh, a lot of people have tried to talk to him and they brought the wisdom of God to him and saying, look, the, the way you're going is foolish. It's not following God's wisdom. And, and he does not care. And so then uh, we started to ask the people closest to him, how does he listen to the shepherd's voice in the rest of his life before all this stuff started to happen? How much did the shepherd's voice affect the way that he lived? How much did it guide him in, in, the, in the, the choices he made and the relationships he had? And this is what they said. They said, he, it doesn't. He talks about the shepherd like he goes, he's gone to church, right? He knows a lot about the shepherd, but the, he doesn't know the shepherd's voice. So we're all sheep, but who are you following? We're all following some shepherd. Are you following the good shepherd or not? And how do you know that? Does his voice have any effect on your life? Does his truth have any effect on the way that you live? Do you know his voice? So now that we have this foundational truth down, we can move on. We can look at the Lord being our shepherd. We're the sheep. So so here are five observations about the shepherd here in Psalm 23. Number one, the shepherd provides for his sheep. Look at verse one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's saying, I shall not want. I have everything I need in him. I don't need another shepherd. There's nothing that the shepherd won't, uh, won't give me that I need. If the, if the shepherd's not giving it to me, I don't need it, right? That's complete trust. And you might say, okay, so King David's writing this, all right? So, so he's the king. He's prosperous. Like, of course he can write this. Of course he can say, I don't need anything else because he's got everything he needs. But I don't think David is just writing from this time of prosperity. Number one, David came from a time of, of not being prosperous, of being a shepherd boy. But I think he's also thinking about the history of God and thinking about the history of God with his people. And think about this. Think about Israel and think about being in the Exodus. And God literally led them into the wilderness, into a desert where nothing survives, where nobody lives, right? Just led them out to a place of, of just desolation. And, and, and nothing's going to be provided for them there. There's no, nothing's going to spring out of the desert for them that they're going to be able to sustain themselves. He led them somewhere where they had to be completely dependent upon him and he had to completely provide. And guess what? He did. For 40 years, he did. He provided for them. He provided for them physically. Literally, he gave them heavenly room service, all right? Like literally their breakfast came from the sky, right? They were complaining and saying, we want to eat meat. And God said, okay, here's some quails. And quails just were there. They were just everywhere, right? And they said, we're thirsty. And Moses said, all right. And, and all of a sudden water comes out of a rock. Do you get it? God provided for them physically. Socially, their needs were met. He gave them order and responsibilities and he ordered them in, into tribes and gave them an identity. He provided for them spiritually. He gave them the law. This is how you please me. This is how your joy will be made full as if you follow my law. He gave them the tabernacle to meet with them and to worship him in, right? And in Christ Jesus, our good shepherd, all of our needs are met as well. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches of glory in, in glory in Christ Jesus. And a real quick side note, it says like, all your needs, not necessarily all your wants. My needs and my wants don't always line up, all right? That's, that's, my wants are big, right? My needs, maybe not so much. My needs and my wants, they will not line up until I, I either I'm in heaven or like 
eating a Snickers bar won't make you fat, it'll make you look like Ryan Gosling, all right? Like, so that's the only other time my needs and my wants are gonna line up. But God will always meet our needs physically. Matthew 6, Jesus said, don't be anxious. Uh, uh, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? The Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows you need them all. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. So Jesus promises, I'll take care of you physically. But not only that, he takes care of us spiritually. Paul writes in Philippians 4, he says, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I'm to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. What's he talking about? There's a spiritual strength, a spiritual fortitude that the Lord has given to him, right? He's meeting his needs spiritually so that he can endure all things. And there's a satisfaction in Jesus that's unlike anything else that can't be found anywhere else. No one can meet your spiritual needs like he can. So number one, the shepherd provides for his sheep. Secondly, the shepherd gives rest to his sheep. Look at verse two. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Some have interpreted this to be uh, sustenance, right? So they, they eat the grass, they drink the water. I, I don't think that is, that's the, the key here. I think what the main key here is, is talking about rest. Because one, sheep don't eat while they're laying down, all right? And some of you are like, good thing I'm not a sheep, right? But they don't eat laying down. And two, I think the next verse gives us that same hint. But let's look at the green pastures and still waters. How did they give us rest? Well, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Makes isn't like forced, like he takes, lie down, right? But he allows me to lie down in these green pastures. And green pastures are pleasant places of rest. And, and I, want you to, I want you to get ready for this, all right? So this promise jumped off the page. I mean, it literally rocked my world. Here's, here's what I think he means when he says he, he, he makes us lie down in green pastures. Listen to this. This is a promise that in Christ, there's always a green pasture of rest. Always. In Christ, there's always a green pasture of rest. And, and, and you say, rest, rest, okay, rest from what? Like in what situation is there a green pasture of rest? Every situation. And you say, you don't know what I'm going through. I don't. But in every situation, in everything, there is a green pasture of rest waiting for you in Christ. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. There's no specification as to, to what's caused the weariness or heaviness. Come to me, all of you who are weary because you've done a lot of good, and I'll give you rest. It doesn't say that. Come to me, all you who are heavy laden because you're innocent and someone just put it on you. It doesn't say that. It says, whatever has caused your weariness, whatever has caused you to have this burden, you come to me and I'll give you rest. And there's only one requirement for rest. There's only one requirement. It's not get out of the situation and I'll give you rest, right? When it gets better, I'll give you rest. If you act better, if you look nicer, if you give me money, I'll give you rest. There's one requirement. What's this requirement in, the, in Matthew eleven twenty eight? 28? Come to me. That's it. That's his requirement. Go to him and there's rest. So with the good shepherd, no matter where you are, no matter what you're dealing with, there is a green pasture of rest. And then I thought about my own life. Is this true in my own life? Absolutely. I thought about a time of weariness uh, caused by my own sinful behavior. And guess what? When I went to the Lord, I didn't find condemnation. I didn't find an anger and a wrath. What I found was 
rest. I, I thought about a time of, of deep melancholy in my life and, and the weariness that accompanies that melancholy. And, and guess what? I found rest right in the middle of that melancholy. How? Going to him, there was rest. I thought about a time of personal tragedy and, and, and the loss and the, and the weariness that comes with that loss. And my relief and my rest was found in one place, and that was Jesus. There was a green pasture waiting for me right in the middle of that pain of that loss. So what's the significance of he leads me beside still waters? Why does the Lord need to lead us to rest? Here's why. Because without the shepherd leading us to real rest, which is found only in him, we always look for rest elsewhere. And usually we end up burdening ourselves even worse, burning ourselves out even more looking for rest elsewhere. Think about it. Think about a sheep in other waters, right? If they're not led to still waters, they'll walk right into a rushing river, right? Or, or if they're not led to still waters, they'll walk right through stagnant water filled with disease and, and parasites. Do we ever do that? Absolutely we do. Absolutely we look for rest elsewhere outside of God. And it's poisonous and it's life-taking. You think some of you might, and this is me, work may give me satisfaction. That'll give me the peace I need. I just need to work harder. That's when I'll find that rest, right? Or, or this relationship will give me rest. Or my friends will, or my family will give me that peace and that rest. Or if I, if I try harder to do more for God, that'll give me my rest. Or, or, or maybe just, I just need a distraction. That's what I need. That'll give me rest. That'll give rest to my soul. If I just get a distraction, I'll just stay on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram for, for eight hours a day and not think about my life. That'll give me peace. Or maybe some of you even turn to substances. That'll give me peace. But then we find out they can't provide peace at all. In fact, sometimes they're the torrents, the, uh, the raging rivers that overwhelm us, or, or they're packed with the disease or the parasites of the stagnant water. But Jesus came to give us real rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Lord gives rest to his sheep. There's always a green pasture with our shepherd. Third, the shepherd restores his sheep. Look at verse three. He restores my soul. Two quick things about his restoration. One, he's restoring you, how? Through rest. That's how we're getting to restoration, is through rest. What's the purpose of rest? The purpose of rest is to restore strength and power. It is not, it is not to weaken your character by removing adversity, all right? Some of us think that the, the rest that the Lord, the way the Lord's gonna restore me, he's gonna give me my strength back, that, that type of rest, what I need, he's gonna just take me out of this difficult situation. That's not what rest is. Rest is, again, restoring strength and power, not by, by weakening your character, by removing <clears throat> you from adversity. <clears throat> Romans 5, 3 through 5 tells us, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our sufferings. The Lord hasn't removed me from adversity, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance, is, endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So in rest, God isn't removing difficulties. You can run to him and, and, and it's not like you can run to him and all of a sudden the rain stops and all of a sudden the storm stops. That's, that's not it. He's not removing you from adversity, but he is returning your strength. That's what he's doing. When you run to him in the middle of difficulties, not that the difficulty He's going to go away, but the Lord's going to give you your strength back through that resting in him. 1 Peter 5.10 says, And after you suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself 
restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So to reject rest, to reject resting in God is, is to never get your strength back. So many times that's my response to a time of weakness. It isn't running to God and trusting his strength. It's trusting my strength more. All right, you know what? I got to dig deeper here. I messed up. I got to go fix it. I don't know what to do. This is such a mess. I don't have time to rest. I got to go harder. I got to try harder. And what do we do? We get weaker and weaker because it's not God's plan for us. We can't trust our strength. We've got to run to him and trust his strength. The Lord restores our strength and builds our endurance through us resting in him and trusting in his strength, not ours. A great illustration the Lord gave me this past week was Tuesday night. We have prayer meeting in here every, every uh, Tuesday at 6 o'clock. And uh, I was praying with, with somebody and I was, we were getting a, a prayer request. And as she's telling me this prayer request, it was overwhelming. And I'm just sitting there and, and like rarely does like my jaw drop, right? But my jaw has dropped. And I'm just like, this is unbelievable. And I'm overwhelmed. And all, automatically, I'm feeling exhausted because I'm thinking, what can I do? How can I help? What can my strength do? But then I realized, I don't have to figure this out. I'm not sovereign. I'll run this burden straight to Jesus. And so that's what I did. And you know what? As we ran that burden straight to Jesus, immediately I felt peace. Immediately I felt strength. Why? Because when we're weak, he is strong. So the first observation, he's restoring you through rest. The second one, this might not be so groundbreaking for some of you, but for me, this was a solid joy. He wants to restore you. That might not sound like a a big deal, but it blew me away because you know what? In my life, when things are weak, when things disappoint me, when things don't do what I need them to do, I I just replace them. I don't worry about trying to restore them. I just replace them. But but when I'm weak, he doesn't want to throw me away. He wants to give me his power all the more. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And somebody needs to hear that today, that you aren't used up. You aren't trash. You may be weak, absolutely. But God wants to restore you. He wants to give you his strength. So fourthly, the shepherd leads his sheep. Look at verse 3 again. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So righteousness, that's, that's rightness according to God. So the shepherd leads his sheep according to his wisdom. Now let me ask you a question. Is this the right? way? Is this the way we should go? Well, wisdom, that's, that's, again, God's righteousness, God's wisdom is personified as a woman in Proverbs chapter 3. And ladies, isn't that appropriate that wisdom is personified as a woman? I think so, uh, right? My wife's here. So anyway, all right, so in Proverbs chapter 3, look at verse 17. This is her path. This is the path that the shepherd's leading us on. Here's how it's described. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. So this path of God's wisdom, this is a path of pleasantness, meaning, which denotes pleasure. Or in other words, God's path is a happy path. It's full of pleasure and deep joy. Psalm 1611 says this, You make known to me the path of life. There we go. The shepherd guiding us on the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Following God's wisdom is following that path of pleasure, the joy of God. It's It's also a path of peace, which denotes lack of turmoil in your inner man. John 14, 27, Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you, not as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let them be afraid. So the path that God leaves us on is a path that doesn't lead to fear, and it doesn't lead to a heart being troubled. It leads to a heart being what? At peace. So yes, following God's path is the right path, a path of peace and pleasure. 
He leads us on this path, what? For his name's sake. To lead us on this path displays his steadfast love and his goodness. Psalm 10, uh, 21. But you, O God, my Lord, deal on my behalf for your name's sake because your steadfast love is good. Deliver me. John Piper talking about God doing this for his own sake. said, God created us for this, to live our lives in a way that makes him look more like the greatness and the beauty and the infinite worth that he really is. This is what it means to be created in the image of God. So the shepherd provides for his sheep. The shepherd gives rest to his sheep. The The shepherd restores his sheep. The shepherd leads his sheep. Fifthly, the shepherd comforts his sheep. Look at verse four. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, as we follow our shepherd, Sometimes it's necessary for us to walk through dark places. Back to our sheep metaphor, there, there may be uh, many deep and dark and gloomy ravines which, um, which abound in the mountains of Palestine where Jesus is talking about. And, uh, and, and it may be necessary for the shepherd to lead the sheep through these places. But there's danger there. There are caves there with predators waiting for the sheep. Absolutely. The landscape itself may be painful and treacherous. Absolutely. And, and are you in the, in, in the valley of the shadow of death right now? And what I mean is, is the shadow of a difficulty blocking out the light in your life? Is, are there adversities that you, you just sense waiting to, to pounce on you now? Do you wander? Have you wandered into a dark place? Maybe on your own doing, because you're, you're not listening to the shepherd and you need to get out. Well, listen to the rest of this verse. They'll walk through the, the valley of the shadow of death. I'll fear no evil. Why? How can you be fearless? Why? For you are with me. Jesus promised us in Matthew 28 to be with us always, even to the end of the age. Hebrews 13 reminds us of God's promise in Deuteronomy that I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. So he promises to be with us. His presence is always there if we know it or not. And this promise of his presence should comfort us. But, but he gives us even more reason to be confident in his comfort. Look, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I read an article written by a man who was a, a primitive shepherd in Africa, and he described a rod and a staff. He would take a rod and a staff with him, and the rod conveys a concept of authority and power. It's literally an extension of the shepherd's arm, and it was defense against danger, right? If anything would come after the sheep, I've got that rod there. Uh, it was also a, a thing of discipline. If a sheep was wandering away from its own, approach, uh, approaching poisonous weeds or something like that, um, He said he would chunk that rod at that sheep and that sheep would go scurrying right back to where it needed to be. And there's comfort in knowing that our shepherd will protect us from all danger, even ourselves, even the danger in ourselves. Psalm 18, 2 says, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. It reminds me of a sailor who was in a shipwreck and was thrown upon a rock where he he clung in great danger until the tide went down. And later a friend asked him, Jim, didn't you shake with fear when you were hanging onto the rock? And he replied, yes, but the rock didn't. And that's our God. That's our shepherd. And, but also the staff. So if the, if, the, if the rod conveys a concept of authority and power and, and defense and discipline, the staff speaks of tenderness and kindness. The staff would be used to lift a, a newborn lamb to its mother because the, the shepherd wouldn't want to get its scent on the lamb. So it would be used to lift the newborn lamb to its mother. It would be used to, to pull a lamb or a sheep closer to the shepherd. If it, did, if it was shy and didn't want to come to the shepherd, it would be used to gently apply pressure to the side of the sheep and it would guide it back onto the path it needs to be. 
It was used to return sheep to safe ground. Remember I told you sometimes they jumped down to ledges. They would just put that shepherd's crook down there and just, and just lift the sheep back to safe ground. It was used to free the sheep from entanglement. There's a comfort in knowing that even in the darkest of times when I can't see what's going on, there's the shepherd's staff there guiding me and waiting to help me very tenderly and lovingly as ever, even in my darkest of days. Even if I walked into that darkness willingly and foolishly and rebelliously, the shepherd's staff is there to lovingly and tenderly guide me back to where I need to be. So the shepherd provides for his sheep. The shepherd gives rest to his sheep. The shepherd restores his sheep. The shepherd leads his sheep. And the shepherd comforts his sheep. Would you pray with me? God, would you help us trust you more as our shepherd? Would you help us rest in the shepherd? Some of my brothers and sisters out there right now are in the valley of the shadow of death. Would you remind them that you're with them? Would you remind them that there's a green pasture? Even there, there's a green pasture and it's with you. If they would come to you with whatever it is, if they come to you, there's rest. You'll restore their strength. And so Lord, would you help us trust you? Would you help us follow the shepherd better? Help us lean into your comfort better. And Lord, also, there might be some in here, they don't know your voice. They're sheep, absolutely, we all are. But they don't know your voice. They don't know the shepherd's voice. Sure, they know a lot about the shepherd, right? They, they know when he was born. They, they know about his crucifixion, resurrection. They, they've heard stories. They, they've been to church. But your truth, your voice, what you have to say about their lives, it has no effect on the way that they live. They don't listen to your voice. Lord, I pray that they would realize that, that today, maybe they're not your sheep. Maybe they say they are, but maybe they really aren't. Lord, would today be the day that they would come into the fold? Would today be the day they'd say, I'm going to listen to the shepherd's voice now. I'm going to follow the shepherd now. And Lord, as, as, they, as they express that to you, in whatever way they do, whatever words they use in their head, whatever they say to you now, would you give them the confidence that if that's the attitude of their heart, then they're forgiven. If that's the attitude of their heart, then they are yours now and forever. And you have a new life for them following you. And God, would you give those people the courage to come talk to me or come talk to Brother John, come grab somebody after the service, one of the elders, whoever, and share that news with us so we can show them what's next. We can show them, how do you follow the shepherd? Here's how. We can show them what this new life is all about. So, Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.